0: Verse 15 together, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Please be seated. All right, good morning, Crossway. Um, <clears throat> well, it's always a privilege to be able to share God's word with you guys this morning. And uh, I have the double honor uh, because the, this morning I, get to, I have the privilege of sharing with you guys Uh, our new sermon series uh, called Finding Contentment. Um, We have an amazing, you know, design that April made here. Um, But we're going to be going over uh, select passages, uh, talking about and searching, addressing the biblical understanding of contentment. Um, To start, I want to read a quote from Pascal, Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician physicist, inventor, writer, theologian, about the fact that everyone desires and needs contentment. He says this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man even of those who hang themselves. A little bit morbid at the end. But the truth of what he says remains the same, that everyone desires and seeks after happiness or contentment or fulfillment. Um, You know, a lot of times here in our lives, we, we quit our jobs because, what? We're dissatisfied with the job. Either the boss, or we weren't getting paid uh, well enough, or whatever it was. There was something that didn't uh, satisfy us, or the work wasn't fulfilling. The purpose that I have in my life is not being fulfilled by doing this menial job, or whatever it might be. Or we could talk about it in our relationships, uh, even basic needs, such as water and food. We have wants and we have desires and we have needs. And <clears throat> I start with this because this is where we find the Samaritan woman this morning. Many of you are familiar with the woman at the well, the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. But we approach the topic of finding contentment with this woman who is looking for contentment at this well. What is she looking for? Very simply put, one of the most basic human needs, she's looking for water water to quench her thirst she desires to be satisfied physically by drinking water and by having water and so she goes to this well but the setting is a bit peculiar Uh, for one she's alone Uh, typically uh, women were the ones that went to go get the water but they would go in groups Uh, it was a time To gather socially and to gossip and chat and uh, not just for protection but for them to come together and just talk about the day but not only that she was alone but she arrived at noon uh, which was 12 p.m. the peak heat of the day Uh, typically the women would arrive early in the morning or late in the evening to avoid the heat but here was this woman alone At the peak heat of the day when no one else would be there. This is where we find uh, the Samaritan woman seeking contentment, seeking water in this setting. And this is the setting where Jesus approaches. Jesus, wearied from his journey from Judea to Galilee, he stops by the well. And he notices this woman alone drawing from the well. And he asks her a question. He says, can you pour me a drink? Can you give me a glass of water, essentially? And I want us to read this passage one more time, but I want you to notice how Jesus and the women are missing each other in their conversation. Jesus will say one thing, and the woman will say another, but they're not understanding each other. Okay? There's two levels of conversation happening here. And so let's look at John chapter 4, verse 9, after Jesus asked for a glass of water. The Samaritan woman said to him, As did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Or have to come here to draw water. When you read this conversation, it's a little funny, a little silly, right? Because... They're missing each other. Jesus is saying, Woman, I am here. I can offer you living water. This water, if you drink it, you will never thirst again. You will be completely satisfied. And not only that, as you drink this water, it will well up in you to eternal life. And so Jesus is here. And the confusion is happening because of this word water, right? But he's offering this water. And he's using it figuratively, and he's saying, if you drink this living water, you could have eternal life. But what we see is that the woman is here. She doesn't understand what he means by water. And for her, she's just thinking literally of water. She says, you're going to offer me water, but you don't have anything to draw from the well. And the well is very deep. How are you going to get this water for me to drink? And even in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't ever have to be thirsty and I ever have to come to this well again. She's thinking on a naturalistic, uh, physical plane. Whereas Jesus is talking figuratively about eternal life. And it's a little silly because they're exchange- uh, this conversation that they're exchanging is, they're missing each other. But it's tragic on the other hand, right? Because here is... This woman in front of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the chosen one of the world, who is offering eternal life, life everlasting, this water that will cause this woman to never be thirsty again, but instead will well up to eternal life. And all the woman can think of is her thirst, that she's thirsty, that she just wants water. And, I won't, and it's tragic because she can't see the magnitude of the situation, right? The glory and the treasure that is being offered uh, to her. But I want us, you know, take a step back and pause and, and reflect on this scene because I wonder <clears throat> if you really think about even our lives and evaluate our lives, even as believers, I wonder if the woman's Woman at the well's response is that much different than how we would have responded. And the reason why I say that is because even for us, as we come to Jesus every Sunday, and He comes and He offers life everlasting, He says, Come drink from me, and you will have your uh, thirst quenched, and you will be filled and satisfied and content. And He offers this on Sunday. I wonder if you guys are similar to me and that oftentimes my prayers when I come to church are, are not for those things. It's just, God, oh, I have this little cold that I, I hope you can get, you can help me with. God, I, you know, want a raise or a promotion or a relationship. God, these are the things that I really need. God, I, I know you're offering me all this, but Lord, these are my prayer requests. These are the things that I need you to give me. And oftentimes we find ourselves here not fully understanding what God has to offer when Jesus comes and offers. And even in Isaiah 55, he says something like this as an invitation. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. God is offering this. But when we come before him on Sundays and even in your personal time, what are the things that we ask for? God, give me that raise, and that'll solve everything. Just give me that relationship. It'll help me feel better. Just better grades, a higher salary, a better car. Then I'll be satisfied. And then we start sounding like the woman at the well who just simply wants their physical needs met, the ones that are temporary, the ones that when you take a drink from, you're going to have to keep drinking from because you will never fully be satisfied, Well, you'll have to dip into again and again and again. Excuse me. Now, I don't want to knock these things because I know they're important. I know in our everyday life we need water and bread and, you know, we need to be healed from sickness. Those are not bad things to pray about. It's okay to pray for them. Even in uh, the Lord's prayer, he asks, Jesus calls us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. So these are not bad things to pray for. But there's a warning even in Scripture that warns us not to allow those things to be the main things that we are to seek the well that Jesus provides instead of constantly turning to these other wells to be satisfied and this is what he says in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 it says for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters And hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here, Jeremiah the prophet is condemning Israel. Because he says, Jesus, or God is here. He is the fountain of living waters. Water is coming and we just need to go to him to be satisfied and content and fulfilled. And yet, they're over here digging their own cisterns. They're digging their own wells, hoping That they could draw some water from here to be satisfied. What they don't realize is these cisterns, these wells are cracked on the bottom. So that every time they try to draw water from it, they're going to be disappointed. That though it might satisfy for a moment, it will eventually cause them to use all their resources, their time and energy, and it will wear them out. And that's the question that we have to honestly ask ourselves. You know, where do we turn when we are desperately in need of satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment? You know, Especially when you're tired and weary and burnt out, where do you turn? Where do you go when you're frustrated or when you've been disappointed? Where do you drink from when you're bitter and angry? towards your spouse or a relationship that you're involved in, or when you're anxious about the future, or when you've been hurt by someone or something that's happened in the past, when you feel dry and discontent and unsatisfied, what are the wells that we start to dig and what are the wells that we start to turn to? Do we turn to the well of uh, video games or sports and watching TV and shopping or vacations and spa days and wine nights or possibly uh, addictions. Now, besides addictions and some possible destructive behaviors, again, I'm not condemning these things because I love a good vacation. I I would love a good spa day too. I don't know if I've ever done that before, but yeah, that would be great. Watching TV and sports, all that stuff is great and it's healthy in moderation and all that stuff. But what the warning is against is that if this is your main way to be fulfilled, and to be sustained, and to be satisfied, to draw from those continually, eventually what you'll begin to, underst- uh, to realize is that these cisterns, these wells are leaking. That it'll take all your resources, all your energy, all your money, all your time, and in the end it'll leave you dry. It might satisfy for a moment, for that day, but it will not satisfy for eternity. Um, <clears throat> I have to throw in a baby story, uh, you know, every sermon. Uh, my daughter, she's seven months now, and uh, two days, out, or three days out of the week, I have to watch her. For about 14 hours, because Janet has 12-hour shifts. She's an ER nurse, so she works for 12 hours. It takes her an hour to get there and come back. So I have to watch her. So on Mondays, right? I have to watch her all day. And for the most part, she does okay. She she uh, tolerates me, right? Uh, you know, I feed her. She's happy. She's content. You know, I change her. She's happy. She's content. I put her down. She's happy. She's content. But like the last hour, when she feels like mom is about to come home. She starts to get cranky, right? And maybe because she, she's a little tired, too, but she starts crying and yelling and whatever it is. And there's nothing I could do to, you know, put her to appease her. So I'm trying to do everything, carry her and all that stuff. And eventually she'll, like, calm down a little bit. But when the garage door opens, she does this. Like, she's playing with something, and then she hears it, she goes, like, and she's ready, right? She knows what that sound is. She knows that means that mom is home. But the problem is, you know, mom is coming from work. She works in the ER, so she's, you know, she wants to change her clothes. She has to go to the bathroom, and she has to put some stuff away. There's about like seven minutes when she is just, I need to see mom right now. And she goes absolutely berserk, right? And she's crying, flailing around. I'm already exhausted at that point, so I'm just watching her going crazy. But there's one thing that I have figured out that keeps her quiet for five to seven minutes feeding her these little puff things these little snacks right every time I feed it to her she uh, lasts about like a good 30 seconds I think 30 (laughs) seconds to a minute right but so she's crying and flailing around and I'll grab the bottle and I'll shake it and then she'll go "Ah!" and she already knows what that sound is too she starts doing this like give it to me and so I open one pull it out give it to her She's like happy, eating, melting, finishes, cries. And we repeat it until seven minutes, until my wife comes and picks her up. <clears throat> and then she has nothing to do with me. She just looks at me like, who are you, right? But it's funny, but I wonder if this image is kind of similar to how we live life, where the ultimate goal is to get to, Lois's ultimate goal is to get to mom. She has this goal, and she's discontent until she gets there. But the, but I'm able to distract her with some of the little temporary things in life, which last 30 seconds to a minute, right? And I have to keep feeding it to her. But I wonder if that's how we live our life sometimes, you know, that Jesus Christ here is offering us eternal life, life eternal, that he'd fill us up. This word says that he'd fill us up, that it would well up inside of us, out into eternal life. And instead of desiring that, and I mean, as Christians, we desire, we want it, but we get sidetracked, right? Like, I want it, I want I want that so bad, but this will also satisfy me. And I think this will also satisfy me. And I try this, and I try this, and all of a sudden, you get so distracted that you forget the most important thing, which is the Lord. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, he says, this quote that I think is very powerful, that we're we're too distracted. And he says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased we are far too easily pleased that's his assessment not that we want too much or we desire too much or we're too greedy for the things of this life and that's distracting us from God but it's that we're far too easily pleased that we demand too little of the world to distract us that all we need is that little puff to keep us content But we need to remember that infinite joy and satisfaction and contentment is being offered by Jesus. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This middle part, he says he has put eternity into man's heart. There's a reason why all the things that we've tried to do in this life, and I can guarantee All of us, we might have been excited about some of the things that we've tried and the wells that we've dug and drank from, but I guarantee none of these have fully satisfied. The reason being is because in Ecclesiastes, King Solomon says that God has put eternity into man's heart. So when you try to satisfy the infinite heart, the eternal heart, with finite things, with temporal things, you're always going to find disappointment. There's always going to be a part of you that's like, oh, it was good. But not that great. Now, I'm an econ major, and the only thing I learned was the law of diminishing returns, right? You might like ice cream and think it's the most amazing thing, but if you keep eating it, you're going to enjoy it less and less, right? Same thing with the things of this world. What this means is that if our heart is meant for eternity, if God has placed Eternity in our hearts. What it means is that we are here. Our, we're, our goal is not to live for the things of this earth, but to live for something greater, to live for eternity. Right? Augustine, a Christian theologian and philosopher, he says this. Thou hast made us for thyself, O oh God, and the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in thee. The heart is restless. Man is restless until it finds its rest that is where we need to find our rest. That is where we need to find our, commi- our, our contentment and our satisfaction and fulfillment. And this woman, this woman at the well, she doesn't know exactly what Jesus is talking about, but she wants it, right? In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so Jesus, knowing what this woman is asking for, What this woman needs begins this process, begins this journey. And what we see is that for those of us who want to drink from the well, who want to be satisfied and completely fulfilled in our life, there's two things in this passage that we need to be aware of, and Jesus makes aware of to this woman. The first is that Jesus makes the woman aware of her sin. This is what's keeping you from drinking the water. This is what's keeping you from eternal life. That there is a sin in your life that's causing a chasm that's causing you to not be able to enter into eternal life. Not allowing to drink from this well. And Jesus exposes this sin in her life in verse 16. Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You now, Jesus wasn't calling the woman to say, Hey, go get your husband because I don't want to talk to you. He wasn't being patriarchal or, uh, you know, anti feminist or anything like that. He was. Say, he was calling the woman to bring her husband because he wanted to expose her sin. Namely, that she had had five husbands before. And, you know, I don't want to psychoanalyze the Samaritan woman. I don't know why they were divorced or what happened. But what we, what we do know is that the sixth man that she's with, he is not her husband. That, that she is immorally staying and living with this man so he makes her aware of her sin that she is dipping into this well that she thought would satisfy to the point where she had multiple husbands husband after husband after husband because she was searching for something and again, I don't know what it was, whether it was her emotional needs or financial security. Because uh, you needed a husband to have an inheritance and security and protection, all those things. But I don't know what she was looking for. But the truth is, the, but the fact remains that she, there was something that she was looking for. And she kept going back to that well over and over and over again. Only to be disappointed over and over and over again. And Jesus makes her aware of her sin her brokenness of her need for something else than this well that she's been going to over and over and over again and then he begins to excuse me and then he begins to make her aware of the second point which is the most important that not only are you aware of your sin but you can't just be aware of your sin you can't just have your sin and say i know i'm a sinner But you need to have a way to resolve that sin. You need a way, if you want to be satisfied, you need to break and close that chasm. You need to be able to drink the water. And the way you do it is you need to deal with that sin. You need to have that sin forgiven or canceled or repaid. Whatever it might be, you you have to deal with that sin. What we see here is that Jesus is revealing himself to this woman as her savior saying i am the one that can deal with this sin in your life i am the one that can bring you eternal life so that you can drink from the well i'm the one that can cleanse you from your sin and we we see it in this most subtle way and i thought it was so fascinating uh gary burge in his commentary the uh, new international version application commentary he mentions this and i think it's worth looking into Because I think John is very intentional in doing this. Throughout this passage, when you look at how Jesus is described or his name or how he's called, we see that throughout John 4, that his name uh, grows, becomes more honorific. And his role and what he's here to offer becomes more and more clear. And let me explain that to you by going through a few of these verses. Right? When they first meet, in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And it says, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So John is describing Jesus as just the man named Jesus, right? Then Jesus comes up to the Samaritan woman, asks her for a drink. And almost in a derogatory way, um, verse 9, this is what the Samaritan woman said to him. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's almost like a derogatory term, right? Like, "How how could you a Jew be asking me a Samaritan for water? Like, come on. That's that's ridiculous." But Jesus approaches her and says, "If you knew who was asking you for this water, you would have asked him for water and he would have given you living water." And so she's 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 compelled to think, "Wow, there's something that he has to offer me." And so, look at the term that she uses next in verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's intrigued. She is no, long, no longer speaking to him in a derogatory term, but she's like, Oh, he has this living water that's that could be offered. Sir, where can I get this living water? How can you get this living water? And then he proceeds to teach her about. The sin and, his, and the awareness of sin and how she needs to repent from sin. And when, she, when he exposes the sin in her life, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You're someone that's from God. Someone that knows the things of God. That speaks on behalf of God. And she starts to elevate his status. And she starts to have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. But that's not enough, right? Afterwards, what we see is that she makes a claim in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, in this verse, she she presents it as a question. But what we see is that as the story goes on, She knows and receives Jesus as her Savior. As we go in verse 29, it says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And we know that even though she's saying it in a question form, she's going out and sharing the gospel, sharing Christ with all of Samaria. Because what we see is that later on, The whole village and the whole town, they come to know Jesus because of the Samaritan woman. In verse 42, it says, they said to the women, it is no longer because of what you said or what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That not only would she know, but that all of Samaria, all the people in Samaria would know truly Jesus is the Savior of the world. This is what she needed to be aware of, to be able to drink from that well, to receive eternal life, to be fully satisfied, to be fully content. And what's really cool, and I'll close with this, is that when she recognizes who Jesus is, he's the savior of the world, he's the Christ. There's something symbolic going on here. In verse 28, it says this. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Do you see that? It's symbolic. Because this woman, remember, why did she come to this well? The only reason why she came to this well is to drink of the water, to be satisfied for that day. But when Jesus offers the water that will lead to life everlasting, this living water, And she receives it. What does she do? She leaves that jar there. And she goes out and she shares about this living water with all of Samaria, to the people around. And even in her shame, even in her sin, even when the people around would have judged her because she had many husbands and she was alone and that's why she was going to the well by herself, she didn't care. Because she was content what Christ had given her. She didn't care about what other people thought. She didn't care about the reception that she would receive. All that she had received the water that had welled up inside of her to eternal life and she had gone out and she said, this is what you all need to receive. And they were all able to receive and hear for themselves to know that Jesus Christ truly is the Savior of the world. <clears throat> now all of us here, we are in different life stages. I don't know. Some of us are in college, and you know, we think you know, we need good grades, get the good internship, get that good job, you know, get that family, and so on. All the way up until retirement, right? Depending on what retirement, depending on what life stage you're in, all of those things we think are what we need to have fulfillment, to be satisfied, to finally be content. Maybe it's that picture when you're finally retired and you've done everything you need to and you're at the beach and you're drinking a Corona or whatever it is. What image that you might have to think, this is what's going to satisfy me. All those things, what we see in God's word, he says, they are broken cisterns. You need to come to the living water. Come to Christ and seek after him and him alone. And I pray that that would be our prayer and our heart uh, for our church as well this morning. Let's pray, <clears throat> dearly Father. We want to thank you for your word because your word exposes our hearts, Lord. And, and oftentimes our hearts are riddled with uh, different temptations and desires uh, that we fall into in this world uh, that will that no that don't satisfy. But instead, leave us uh, dry and arid, God, in our hearts and in our souls, Lord. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would provoke in us uh, a change, a deep desire to stop turning to these broken cisterns, but to turn to the living water, the well that overflows. Eternal life, Lord, and I pray that we would drink of it and be satisfied and fulfilled and content. And that would be the message that we share with the world. Lord, we thank you for our church, and we thank you that it's your sacrifice, and your love for us, that allows us to be able to stand here, fulfilled and satisfied and content in you. God. We thank you and we love you. And just name and pray. And at this time, I want to invite you to a time of offering. If you could prayerfully prepare that offering as the offering ushers come down. And David and the praise team lead us in worship.